Welcome to the All Outdoors Photography Podcast. This podcast is about all things outdoor photography, including landscapes, wildlife, macro, and more. The show features two talented photographers, Henry Doyle and Ryan Taylor, who bring their different experiences in photography to the podcast. The show is released weekly every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, so I hope you sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. In today's episode, we have Sarath Nathan on the show, an accomplished photographer based in West Virginia. His career spanned many genres, including wildlife, landscapes, portraiture, weddings, real estate, travel, and more. And he has photographed several presidents, rock stars, riots, and law firms. Be sure to check out his work at the end of the show, and we hope to see you with the next one. Thank you. Welcome back to episode 31 of the All Outdoors Photography Podcast. Um, and today we have a very special guest. Mm-hmm. Yes, Sarath Nathan on the show. Um, I've known him for a couple of years now. I've met him on Twitter, actually, of all places. Um, and he does, he's done tons of different photography throughout his entire career. So um, thank you for coming on here, Sarath. Uh, let us know more about yourself, where you're from, and what you do. Uh, thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Henry. And, and thank you for having me on. I'm located here in the South in Virginia. Um, I have a background in uh, radio broadcasting and journalism, and I used that to work my photography in as a child. Uh, One worked upon the other to build the other career, and that's that's how it blossomed. So that's a little bit of information. Okay. It's interesting how you kind of pulled from a different genre and kind of combined them together to kind of create a really diverse career it seems like yeah yes so which got you started with kind of the audio radio kind of scene like well i mean i thought it was cool i mean again the primitive time uh you have the radio you have film photography and what were you going to do and i thought well i can sharpen the skills of photography at a very early age uh, you know before i was you know, age of four onwards, but I also had to keep in mind, well, how am I going to have a career that will help pay the bills as I get older? So as I sharpened the photography skills in film, I pursued a trade school in radio broadcasting, and I looked at that as a uh, career opportunity. And good or bad, I think good, everything went digital photography and radio. So that industry sort of started falling apart. And I went into sales and marketing. And that's how I slowly built up uh, equipment, uh, purchasing equipment. And I always kept the audio stuff in the back burner just in case. And here we are many years later, um, the equipment is up to date where you can have it in your home. Hmm. Yeah. Right. Definitely, yeah. Definitely more mainstream. Yeah. It's like the tools have been uh, democratized where it's like, now you can have these very professional studio quality microphones. Yeah. Like you said, in your own home, and it's pretty neat. You know, back in the day, I bet it's like you had all this gear off site almost, and it was hard to acquire and purchase. Right. Uh, that or, and, and that era, I mean, something the size of four if you put four minivans door to door would be a studio and it may cost over two hundred and fifty thousand or more and now you have equipment like like you had mentioned um it's here for i mean a couple of thousand dollars so it's a big jump but again back then we none of us were thinking oh wow that will that equipment will be invented for us to have in our homes and it's a a fortunate event in a good way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think I think it's interesting how kind of the move from more accessible radio equipment kind of paralleled the photography world as well. Like you mentioned, the switch from film to digital. Uh, how did that go for you? Like, was it a harsh transition? Did you switch over instantly? Or I feel at that point the cost of film. I was in my teens, and I would do odd jobs for neighbors to raise money to process the film and, you know, going to the local pharmacy to uh, process film. And you would only, I mean, you're a kid, you would only have enough money to 
process what you could. And when digital came out, I thought, huh, this might be a way that I can handpick what I like and only print out what I want. And that way it saves me some money. So that's how I view digital as an advantage of uh, curbing costs. But I also noticed a lot of people who were 50 something back then, they didn't want to leave film and some went out of business as I started heading into my 20s. So it was a, a good thing for some and a bad thing for others. But I feel like as artists or people that create, uh, we have to evolve for ourselves. Hmm. That's really, yeah, that's interesting. It's, it's neat to, like, like Henry said, it's the harmonious kind of upbringing of technology and such. But yeah, yeah, I mean, like, how did photography really come into the picture then? I think it's, I always thought, it's going to sound silly, I always thought the Spider-Man comics were super cool. And I thought Peter Parker... <laughs> was this reporter and he had a camera and I thought, you know, let me try this as a child. And I also noticed adults who took horrible photos, just journal photos of families, things around the house. I thought this can't be that hard. So I started taking photos and I, I mean, I don't want to say it's a talent. I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, but it just seems something so natural to me where other people either, uh, they didn't try. That was part of it. They didn't care. Or they were, I guess, in that, I mean, with film, very few people were even in a hobby zone. Uh, so that kind of, um, like they call it pricing out your market, They that pushed people out of the market in my preteens to even explore photography. So I accidentally had, I would say, a, a time and place accelerator to uh, further my skill without anybody trying to compete with me back then. Hmm. Yeah, it's almost like the thing of like, if it's too hard, you don't want to try. So you just give up real quickly. So it's, like, it's almost like you need a little bit of an, like, an ego to even just like get into the field, so to speak. You have to be like, I could probably improve at this, right? A absolutely. I think there's, there's a healthy ego and unhealthy ego. Mm -hmm. And the unhealthy ego is where somebody you, you've met them in every walk of life. They could be a soccer player, basketball player, and they're, they're terrible, but they've made everybody believe they're great. And um, you run into them later and they really haven't matured. But then the healthy ego is one where it's yourself encouraging yourself to do better, not to necessarily um, show someone that you're better than them, but show yourself, and it's basically uh, self-confidence and yourself cheering yourself on. In life, I feel that you're your own motivator. Very rarely will you run across people, maybe outside of your parents uh, for most people, that will tell you you're going to do great and push you ahead. And I remember a guy who was a barber in town, he gave the analogy of crabs in a bucket. And crabs in a bucket try to pull each other down so none of them can escape. And so a large portion of people, if you talk about trying to become a photographer or any kind of dream, they might, they might be jealous and they may tell you they're your friend, but they might not be in partnership with you. So the healthy ego is just yourself, in my opinion. I'm not a, a therapist but I believe it's a healthy version of yourself pushing yourself forward and trying to accelerate in life. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, to, that's actually, a, that's a better way to put it. I think is like the self-improvement self-confidence you said. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. The ego wasn't quite the right word, but yeah, you said it much more eloquently. Um, so yeah. Do, do you consider yourself kind of like a more of a go-getter, like an entrepreneur, so to speak? Uh, more entrepreneur, uh, businessman uh, with the sales background. It, it was sort of a, a, a segment where you had to do something to live. You had to do something for a career. And sales just was natural because I'm a people person. So in that, I saw, well, I see I'm at that time, I'm working for someone making them a living. What if I start to, even though it's not easy, 
what if I start to do that for myself? What if I sell photography services and other services? So it lands in that business person entrepreneur zone. Yeah, it kind of it kind of marries the creative side of photography with business, of course. If you want to make it your your passion, your living, right? Um, so it's neat to see that where it kind of just melts together, and uh, it sounds perfect for personalities and um, yeah, just the way you're kind of approached uh, the craft. Yeah. So what what kind of services did you uh, offer at first when you got were first getting into photography? Well, it was. It was very, again, primitive time. Everyone was still thinking digital, what is this? And I put a ad on, uh, on the internet and for a Craigslist at that time. And I said, photographer available. And I would say I was late teens, past 18, but under 21 years of age. And I got a very, think of like Star Wars, I got a very mysterious phone call from an elderly gentleman. He said he was a photographer. He sounded like an elderly person. And he said he was a photographer in town. He saw my ad online. And he said he referred me to a couple that needed, it sounds very, very strange. They needed dog treat product photography. <laughs> and And so I thought, I mean, anything like that online, you, you're kind of thinking, maybe this guy is um, a crazy person. But I got a call from a lovely young couple. They were much older than I. I think they were in their mid-30s to late 40s when I was you know, under 21. And they called me, and I went to their place. And I uh, kind of like if you jump off a diving board, it's this is my uh, one of – my first gigs, I had one previous to that, was a um, a small sort of like a coupon magazine or some photos, but this was a little bit larger. It was actual, I felt a little bit more um, well-rounded, and it was dog treats. Uh, so um, anything you can imagine nowadays, they sell as dog treats. I was photographing for them in their home. Hmm. Wow, that that's just that's just interesting. Though it's like a specific niche like that's kind of amazing that they approached you about it 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 was actually a blessing what ended up happening and i guess you could say it's more popular now but i ran into another lady at some kind of um i guess network meeting and she said she makes dog treats now this couple at that time uh blossomed and made a very good living. So she knew who they were. They were much bigger than her. So she was, they were a bigger fish and she was a smaller fish. And in the marketing sense for photography, any market you're in, that person, when I said, we'll call them company A, I said, I'm working with company A and I've done a lot of their dog treats. And I just said to her, when is a good time that you and I can meet and maybe we can create something together for your advertisement. So that sales background applied to photography to help generate an income. And she and I met and we sat down and we came up with an idea of photographs for her website. And so then there was the second, I mean, it sounds silly to think about it, but at that time, a second dog treat company working with me to uh, do photographs. And I thought, okay, this is a niche market. I mean, I have to expand. And I, by then I had done some headshots, but I still wanted to do more. And that was sort of a, to answer your question, early uh, early work was dog treat photography. Hmm. Wow. It's what, neat. Cause what it's a way to of, get started. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's neat because it's like early on when you're trying to make a career out of it, like it, I'm not really saying just you, but like a lot of people just kind of will take any work they can. Like I'm kind of in that boat right now where it's like, you know, I'll shoot the engagement, you know, couple or whatever. I'll just do whatever it takes to make a living out of it. So yeah, that's, that's just a really neat way to kind of start your upbringing. And I, I would agree with, with you. I think starting out, taking, take anything you can. And what I mean by that, what I learned in that, early part with by doing that was all the networking 
and all the connections. You may not see somebody, you might be doing an event for somebody and somebody might see you. And five years later, they might say, wait, aren't you Henry? Aren't you Ryan? I remember. And then they say, I need you to maybe photograph my project. And it's, I mean, little do we think those early assignments or self-assignments, whatever, add up and to anything, but they get used to you as a photographer and they get used to you as somebody who is, has been in it long, their perception, and they all of a sudden have a trust towards you and they're more apt to hiring you than anyone else because their friend used you and now they may need your services. Yeah. Yeah, referral really, networking it's like the one of the most important things i think oh yeah in general you know it really is everything yeah you're really building that reputation and brands like even if at the time you're maybe not taking a ton of jobs you know they'll see you with the camera in your hand and they'll always think of you when they think of photographers so absolutely and it helps to have like a good way about you like a good putting your best uh personality forward and with people like i've i found it to be my experience with like doing like festivals and such um is just meet people you have, kind of have to be a very outgoing type even if it's hard for you and just to you know make sure you leave kind of like an impression on people and i would add that i'm a naturally shy person but i feel a lot of photographers are because we we live in our head with our craft, but there's a part, I, I don't know where it was, but in my life, I felt I will have to make an earning doing something. And whatever that may be, I would have to be outgoing and personable and go beyond my comfort zone with, with not being shy. But at the same time, that shyness can help us with being reserved in moments where if somebody's having an emotional moment like a wedding, our our shy, reserved self just being quiet, not saying anything at all. Uh, sometimes you'll find clients tell you, Ryan, Henry, you know exactly what I was thinking. And you're kind of saying to yourself, I didn't say a word. And they're they're happy with you. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Um so, like, I kind of want to dial it back here a second and just ask, what draws you to photograph more than one genre or niche? Is it just because you want to kind of diversify your work, or is it just you simply are interested in doing many different kinds? Well, I think photography, and one was a passion, and during a lot of the sales career, while I was building up my equipment base, I viewed photography as also an escape. It was therapeutic. I could just leave some corporate setting and throw on some shoes and an old shirt and pants and just go in the woods. And I viewed, for me, it was uh, therapeutic and a, an escape from day-to-day -day work. But I realized while I was out there, I was also building a portfolio. So with, with what you're, I guess, with your question, it, it branched out from there. And I said, I think with this, and I had some older work in film, I've got the beginnings of a very big portfolio and I was just gonna trudge through no matter what and uh, take whatever day jobs I could get to work around that schedule or with that schedule to get the shots and try to go to, try to, go to the places I want to build up a portfolio I didn't want to I didn't want to have a magazine um I didn't want to be an employee of a magazine so my work belonged to the magazine so that was a big thing to, that I tried to avoid early on. Hmm. So yeah, I feel like early photographers can kind of fall into the trap of like not valuing their work enough and they'll they'll sell off to companies that really don't value what they do. So that I feel like that's a trap a lot of people fall into mm -hmm. in the beginnings. They allow Absolutely. themselves to they allow themselves to like uh, be treated poorly, I guess. You know, like the terms and conditions to a contest or just a client that's really unruly with your photos. Um, you kind of just like lower your standards overall. I think sometimes. I I agree. I think what I saw in the radio industry 
and that happen with film is let's say Henry, Ryan, and myself are employed in a magazine and digital comes along, we can uh, fire Henry and Seraph and we can keep Ryan for a fraction of the budget and we can pay Ryan less. And the thought process is if I'm producing, let's say historic work, you're working for a mainstream newspaper and you're producing historic work that could change the world, why are you being paid a very low amount when you're producing amazing work? And at the end of the day, they are the property owners of your work. And I mean, unless the agreement says you too can license that work separately, uh, you're pretty much in a, uh, almost an employment trap, if you could call it that. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Um, I, I wanted to ask you actually, because you have a portfolio over time and um, obviously with your business background, of course, um, did you early on see the long game of it? Did you like the longevity of a photography career site, so to speak? I would say it was 50-50. I thought that I'm going to do the best I can with this. And if and that's kind of like the letting go, letting God. I thought if I let go of trying to like outdo myself, I'm just having fun with it. There's that. And if I don't make a career out of it, I'll move on to something else. But what I felt was because I didn't have that attachment to, I didn't have an attachment in an obsessive way that this was the only thing. That gave me some, almost a moment of relaxation to, um, I, I guess, actually explore creativity more with photography and build a portfolio casually. By this is not the only thing. Do you mean just like photography, like versus some other kind of career field? Is that what you mean? Yes. Yes. Correct. Okay. Yeah. I, I I'd agree with you because it's like I'm like what you're saying right now is um, kind of just putting all the eggs in one basket where it's like I'm trying to make this thing work out and everything and it, it does create like a lot of pressure on you. Um, whereas if you had more kind of avenues and income streams coming in, um, kind of relax you a little bit more. I bet. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, yeah, let me, we need to go back here a little bit more. So just cause I'm thinking is um, we talked about networking a little bit ago and that's a little segue, but, um, how do we meet Sarath, you and me? We met via Twitter. I, I liked your work and I think you had done a post about, um, sort of a, uh, what is it, a book for photographers to try to find work? And I had messaged you because I had gone through that book and it, the, some of the contacts were debunked. And I had messaged you and said, use a little caution, not trying to tell you what to do, but I called some of these people and visited some of these places and they no longer are in business. And that's how we connected. Yeah, I couldn't remember, honestly, because it's been, it's been probably about two years now, I remember. But yeah, you just started messaging me. Um, just helping out with different things. And you're just very, very friendly and down to earth with just being helpful with advice and everything. And I mean, I know we've had a few hour long phone calls and just um, mainly business related help for myself, but yeah, it's just been neat. Just kind of learning more about you and what you do. Well, I, I also thought about that elderly gentleman that randomly called me to give me that gig for the dog treat. Uh, I thought, whenever I am that age or an older person, if I see somebody much younger than me and uh, like that book had, you know, incorrect information, it was like the bridge being out. I wanted to let you know before you, you know, went pillar to post calling everybody that uh, I wouldn't put too much effort into that book. I, I saw myself as somebody trying to give back to another, another younger generation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's great. Well, continuing the knowledge. Yeah, um, I know you've always had these very cautionary tales, um, just because you've had quite a storied career in photography. So, um, like, where are some different kind of like lessons I guess you've learned over the years? Well, I guess you could you could start with. Um, it kind of goes into the yourself, trust yourself, 
and then trust others, use caution, um, go with your gut. And those are some very uh, non-photography related advice, but those things can keep you kind of clear of um, not so great situations in the industry. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess when you're younger too, it's like you have a more, I don't know, a closed lens to just, you throw caution in the wind a little bit more, I'd imagine. Yeah, you get so excited about photography opportunities that you just kind of forget about the reality of some of these situations. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, like a yes man, I guess, to, to some extent. Like, like I said earlier about festival season, um, when I exhibit my work, it's like sometimes I'll just, you know, early on, I would have just said yes to any of them that they would just ask me to set up a booth. Um, but, you know, nowadays I'm being a little more choosy with it. You know, I'm not just going to do any old festival because it might not be really worth my money or time. Absolutely. Yeah. Is there anything you'd like to tell, like, your younger self that you now know, you know, maybe 10, 15 years ago that you wish you knew now? I would... I would tell myself and any other younger person, uh, work in every industry that you can, that you feel safe to work in. Uh, you don't want to end up working in an industry and lose an eye or something in an accident, but work in e every industry you can and learn everything you can because in a roundabout way, it adds up to what you're doing um, what you're doing in this field. I learned from a gentleman on a phone call about audio production many years ago. And he said, if you're the guy, no matter what your role is in the studio, if you're the guy that sweeps up and stays late, you're going to be the guy running the show one day because the person in charge sees your work ethic. And I think that goes for photography. If you're going to carry your camera bag and uh, take nature photos and wildlife photos, and I see it in your videos on YouTube, Ryan, that you put in the effort and a lot of people in your age group and a lot of people in general don't put in the work ethic like you do. I gotta say Henry does too. It's me. I'll have to I'll have to check I'll have to check out his I, I, I don't know if he has a YouTube, but I'll have to check it out. You can send it to me in a I, link. I do have a YouTube channel, yes. Uh, I, I think Ryan he's <laughs> I, I'm going to compliment Ryan here. He definitely probably has the better work ethic with, especially his <laughs> video making. He gets really, you know, planned shots and everything. But yeah. yeah. Well, well, thank you. But I appreciate it. But it's, it's not about me. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, yeah, thank you. Um, it's it's something. Yeah, I will agree. It's certain maybe youthful people our age, um, Henry and I's age. It's like it's harder to put in the effort like they just don't see like i said earlier and it's it's tougher to just think the big picture i guess so to speak with it yeah yes correct i feel mm -hmm. the same yeah so you mentioned earlier about um well i i know since ever since i've known you kind of been like a mentor to me and like so i know you offer workshops and classes so um how did those go for you or have been lately uh they've uh They've been kind of quiet with everything going on. I I did some stuff for uh, my clients age anywhere from their early 20s to um, in their 70s. So I did some instructional stuff for someone, and uh, they, they were actually a student, a photography student, who became a photographer and needed help with their photos in the editing process. Um, so that's... That's kind of what's going on there. Oh, and there. Oh, sorry. I was going to add. There's been some uh, a phone instruction as well over the phone with uh, some people uh, for photography and uh, kind of the business side of photography. Are you, are you doing those classes and workshops lately, like via Zoom or anything, like a video presentation? Well, some Zoom, but more over the phone uh, with more on the business strategy side, I would say, rather than the um, technical aspect. Right. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, what, what do you think draws you to, like, teach people? What do you I think it's, 
I think it's because no one was there to show me how to do any of this. And it felt so hopeless to connect the dots and string things together. And I thought, what if I, I, I can't be the only person who didn't know what they were doing? And I thought, one, I meet people. Why not give them a chance to explore? I know some people may not make a career out of it, but at least when they learn something new about photography, even if they do it privately, personally, they get a joy out of it. So whether it's somebody doing it for fun or trying to do it for a business, I, I, I like to be there for someone when no one was there for me. I feel like it's a shot for them to move up in the world. That's great. Yeah, it, I feel like everyone wants to be like the best photo taker ever, which um, by, you know, by and large, I would say it's kind of like almost like a selfish goal in a way. I mean, it's, of course, you want to be like great and talented with it, but um, not everyone wants to teach people, you know, and help others, you know, better their own skills. Um, so yeah, I can really say that's really neat. It's really great that you do that. I think the other thing with teaching is you end up learning how you work yourself. Like it's almost like a roadmap of how you operate when you're doing instructions with people and it, it becomes your own teacher if that makes any sense. Yeah, you learn about yourself as you're, you know, you're showing your skills the other, to others and then kind of realize what you can improve as well. As Absolutely. It's, it's like what you teach to others reflects into you. So, I mean, like, obviously some people might be more natural speaker and teacher um, of, you know, how their process works, but I feel like it does improve your own photography as well, which is neat. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, how has the business side overall in your career or like I'll even say recently with just, you know, the pandemic, of course, how's it like worked out for you and how's it not worked out? I think I've always thought and with my experience with radio, also, go ahead. I was going to say, and success, it's however you want to define it by your own. Well, uh, with the background with the radio and knowing how jobs can be eliminated or markets can just evaporate. I've always had my hand in other industries and other businesses. And so photography was a part of the whole pie. But I also thought with digital, a lot of the market is super saturated. And I don't want it to be something that, um, you know, puts a, a dim light on the aspect of a career in photography. But I knew that I always have to have additional income, multiple incomes to uh, make sure and ensure what if it's a quiet month in photography, you don't want that. So I had things lined up virtually and uh, with my photography site, uh, people could order things and have them shipped to their homes. But I had a, a technology side of my business where I can do Zoom calls as well as uh, instruction over the phone for people and uh, do tech help. And um, also, I've uh, you know explored other avenues with uh, with the technology side that has kept things okay. I'm, I won't say with the what's going on right now, um, everything is like it used to be, but I feel a lot of my peers um, they they're not doing well. The people that when I was twenty, they were fifty. Currently, they're a much older, I think some of them have gone out of business, unfortunately, but they said back then, when I said, you could set up your business online, they said, it's too much work. They don't want to do it. And now here they are kind of biting their nails. Hmm. So you think it's because of like, not is the reason why they went out of business? A part of it and also totally, totally relying on uh, photography when they, uh, most of them were working for a company, um, only a handful of uh, like portrait houses, I'll call them portrait houses, are surviving as far as like people, uh, people that are employed. Some have made it by because their spouse has, has been fortunate and has had a uh, full-time job. So if it gets quiet in the photo world, it, they haven't suffered a whole lot. And some of those studios 
for over 30 years. So they the property and everything has been paid for. They'll have expenses, but they've made it by. Uh, but yes, there, some people are uh, definitely have hit, been hit by this. Yeah, mm-hmm. you have to really adapt with the industry. Uh, I think photography is ever changing. Like just just five years ago, the photo industry was completely different. So it seems like you've always kind of been future thinking with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you kind of have to stay ahead of the curve too. Like like the big film to do about. It's like not many people are really expecting it, and not many adapted to it. I don't feel like there's really many early adopters that you know. If people that you know stuck with film, they may have not survived the industry really. I'm not gonna say all of them haven't, but you know what I mean. There was uh, my brother-in-law knew uh, my brother-in-laws uh, knew a couple that were in the mass. They would have the machines in the late '80s, early '90s, where you could just drop off your film, and um, it would just be processed, and you could pick it up at like a little hut. It was more out in the Midwest. Um, and they were, this couple told my brother-in-law, oh yeah, this is going to be around forever. Film is going to be around forever. And they, and they mm-hmm. bought more of those machines right as the digital was coming over the hill. They got wiped out completely. I mean, this is 20, 25 years ago, but they got wiped out completely. That's just crazy. Yeah. I always wonder how like the big established, like you said, 30 plus year photography like studios are doing right now. Just with both pandemic and just you know changing times, I I think they'll either they'll survive and if they survive they'll survive off an existing market base. I know during 08, 07, 08, I knew a gentleman. He had said if it wasn't for his existing Rolodex of business, he would be he would be completely out of work, and it would be a struggle to go back into his old industry. Hmm. Have you ever been like hired by one of those brick and mortar places or have you always been kind of more the freelance route? More the freelance route. I think the brick and mortar likes the idea of what I do, but I think they're so traditional into the, um, uh, you'll see it online periodically and that sort of a dated look. It's sort of an antiquated look in their work and they like that and their clients like that. But I think for uh, a younger generation, it, it looks too, um, too outdated, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I feel like, uh, I feel like social media has really propagated this idea with the what we'll call the younger crowd is just to go out and travel and live on your own terms. You know, you ever heard of like digital nomad? You ever heard of those kind of terms? I think in passing. Yeah. Well, yes. In general. Yeah. Digital nomad. Yeah, just people that kind of live, um, I don't know, not really off the grid, but they just kind of live and travel wherever they want and uh, make a career, let's say, like freelance photography and make that just their living. Yeah, that way you don't have to really be like tethered down to like a business, physical store. Mm -hmm. Like you said, antiquated. I think that's that's probably a lot more obtainable today where uh, kind of portrait studios are almost obsolete. It's kind of the more online shift. Around, at least in my area, I've, I've met a lot of people. Since they, they can still thrive, of course. But yeah, I would say the idea of it is like kind of just waning a little bit, probably. Especially with pandemic, you know, how many people really want to go to a physical studio and, you know, sit down at couch with props and stuff or whatever. They probably want to get outside more and see other things, you know, make that their backdrop. I would I would agree. I think it's a complete jump from the 1980s box store, sit here, do this, and everything looks canned and forced. And then there's everyone else. It looks fresh, updated. You can be, you know, six feet away or more and take a wonderful photo and you're you can email it to your client. You don't have to be near them or around them and they're happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems like a big shift towards like environmental portraits too, like just out, you know, outside somewhere. It's very natural poses, very candid style of like photography. And I would say what you two are doing, and I guess coincidentally, what I was doing back then with, with the nature stuff, while we're doing these landscape portraits, 
it's accidental scouting for uh, people portraits. So you can find, uh, you know, I would photographers call them their hidden locations, but places that maybe you have a friend with uh, a beautiful vista, but the only person that can get on that property is you. <laughs> and uh, you can, you know, have clients go out there and have that, you know, moon, moon or sunset uh, in the background and, uh, the only place they can do that is through you. And you can actually, uh, I guess out here in Virginia in the South, uh, a lot of barns, I think in Ohio, uh, barns mm -hmm. give that opportunity of have your wedding here or take your portraits here. Definitely. Yeah. Ohio has tons of like covered bridges that are just like the perfect backdrop. I think um, there's actually, yeah, there's a red barn actually like a few minutes away from my house everywhere. <laughs> what can you expect? And even just like a simple tree for like portrait photos, those can make great backgrounds if you know how to frame it right. Absolutely. I mean, our, our, um, we, uh, Sarath, we used to have a third host on here, uh, Ryland Meadows, and he, he lives out in Kentucky, but he has this beautiful wooded backdrop and he actually has like entire families come out there and use that as like, you know, the background setting for his portrait work. It's really it's amazing stuff that he does. Very cool. Yeah, so um, I mean, like, so, uh, do, do you mind if I ask a question? Sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Um, so I, I'll have to ask. I, I saw this on your website, um, and it really caught my eye. Um, it said you photographed some presidents. So if you'd like to tell the story about that, that would be great. Well, I I was closer to your age, at uh, assuming you're closer to Ryan's age, and I was in Columbus, Ohio, and um, Barack Obama was coming to town, and I said, all right, I'll <clears> – <throat> he was going to speak at the college there, and I said, I'm going to go there. And I, well, I went there and went through security. I didn't bring a bag with me. It was just my camera. And they took that camera, and they grinded it right across the metal table in security – and I thought, oh, man, this is brutal, but it's worth it. So um, I get there, and um, we they have somebody playing the piano, and you can't really tell. It's sort of disguised. There's a curtain, but you don't know there's a curtain there. You don't know anybody's behind a curtain. You think it's a recording. And the curtain drops at some point, and it's John Legend. The speakers were John Glenn, uh, his wife, and a few other local politicians, and then he came out, and it was sort of this uh, baseball stadium lighting. So uh, you're in the dark. So if you can, you can use your zoom and uh, capture him. I captured uh, photos of him and his wife and John Glenn. Uh, John Legend was a little, a little fuzzy because he was off to the left in the dark. Uh, but I got some photos of President Obama, and then. In 2015, uh, Donald Trump decided to come to town, and I said, I'm going to try this again. And um, he wasn't president, so it wasn't heavy, heavy security, some security, but not heavy security. And I went and I uh, went into a little crowd, and a couple of minutes goes by. He comes out. I mean, I would say maybe over 35 feet away from me up at a podium. I had my long lens with me. And again, I asked the police before I came in, I said, can I bring this in? My, pointing to my camera, they said, sure. <laughs> and I, I got got photos of Donald Trump and then he became wow. president. And that those are sort of over, it sounds very simple, but that's, if you go to, um, if you can go to every political event that, one of these big headliners at or at, and you can get a photo. You never know in the future what they'll do or become, and at least you have it in your uh, portfolio. Yeah, and if you want to sell the stock or something as well, I'm sure. You can Absolutely. I usually thing. I like to uh, wait till they're out of office because then it becomes, and maybe further down in history because then the chances of them are being out and about as much before their presidency and after their presidency is very low. So they become more elusive. And there you are with those photos from way back when. And uh, 
you know, some people weren't, you know, they weren't trying to take photos of that individual. Your photo, I would say photo value is arbitrary nowadays, but I would say it, it's a bigger chance of, you have something in your collection most people don't. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's, that's really cool. Like, you really seized the opportunity and just went out there and got the photos. So Yeah, just walk into that. a, walk, just show up and, you know, I would, I don't want to call it dumb luck, but uh, if <laughs> other people aren't doing it and you do it, I mean, it's, it's literally, I think I quizzed some people that were non-photographers before each, I said, do you want to check that out? Do you want to go? No, no, I'm, it's too hot. Uh, no. I, and I thought that's the barrier. It's, it's, it's too hot. It's too crowded. That's the barrier to get these photos. Okay. That's awesome. Yeah. It's always been kind of like the, I guess, driving force is like seizing the opportunity for like, oh, you know, this up and coming president's going to be or like, do you just kind of jump at opportunities like that, you'd say? Yeah, I'll, I'll get a, a gut feeling on it and go. I mean, if it's somebody who does not have, um, I think as a public, we'll know if they're going to try to run for president. It's kind of been in, set in stone no matter who it is. And I'll just go. I mean, sometimes uh, you never know if they'll just stand next to you or they'll want to talk to try to get your vote. And I mean, you can chat with them and afterwards just get those close-up shots. And um, I mean, there you go. Yeah, that's awesome. It's it's like the camera's an excuse, like a passport to get situations. And a, yeah, it's really, it's really Absolutely. cool. Yeah. I've always said it's like half a life is just showing up and you know, these are perfect examples of it, you know, just showing up and just seeing what happens. Yes. Mm-hmm. Is there any other like big clients or big kind of stories that you've had throughout your career? I would say the, the accidental stuff. Um, I like rock and roll. I like Alice Cooper and in my teens, he, came to town and I got some, you know, film cameras from the pharmacy. And uh, I just, you know, I think it was like $14. And this was, you know, money I'd saved up from doing oddball yard work. And um, I went to the Alice Cooper, Alice Cooper concert and took some photos. And I would say it was like 13, 14, somewhere like that. And, you know, cause it was like a family friendly event and, you know, you could be, you could be there as long as, you know, you know, you were visible, you, you know, you're a child at that point. I was a child at that point. And, um, yeah, there's, I have uh, film photos of Alice Cooper and years later, people are like, Whoa, you have, I'm, I'm like, yeah, but if you, I mean, I don't know if you could think of a modern band and if you took a photo of it, now um, there are plenty of bands that come out of Ohio, and think in thirty years, you know, somebody says to you, "You were there," and they weren't born yet, and you're like, "Yeah, I was there. It was. I thought it was cool. I wanted to take their photos." <laughs> so to someone else, it might be super awesome. Yeah, you yeah. got like that. You're once again looking to the future. You know, it might seem a little bit strange at the time, but then. 30 years, 20 or 30 years down the road, you know, there you go. And I, I would say take your camera everywhere. I think you guys already know this, but I run into some people who are into photography and they'll leave their camera at home and there'll be some crazy opportunity where they go and they'll kind of kick themselves later thinking, oh man, I should have, I should have had my camera. So that's another thing for the world take your camera everywhere yeah I, i'd agree it's like some of the best photos i think most people would argue of all time are just ones that are like pretty much accidents like they almost sort of like mistake Absolutely. you know shouldn't have happened you know yes mm-hmm. yeah i know you also photographed um, the charlottesville rights um, how, how was doing that experience that was that was sort of um it's like another I, accident i would say it turned into that it was one of those things you're thinking, okay, this could either go horribly wrong or it could be peaceful. And But I had a feeling, knowing what we know about history, anytime there are 
students, it's and you know people that don't agree. It it's going to end poorly somewhere, and you hope it doesn't. But you've kind of felt. I think what happened was they called for um, an, a state of emergency, and that meant you know everyone would just just you know dismiss and go home. And I was with a pal, and we went to get burgers afterwards. We thought, okay, it's over. And then somebody comes into the restaurant that we were in and screams and says, a car has plowed into a bunch of people. People have been killed. And we we grab the bill, you know, we pay our bill, and we head to the area. We're late by a little bit. And, um, and they, you know, there's police tape everywhere. So the day ended badly. And... Um, but I look at it, it, that and other situations where you're with your camera to use, use caution, uh, know, know your boundaries. I mean, there's certain things that have happened over the course of this past two years where I said, you know, I'm not going to, I mean, I, I mean, I've got a business to run. It's like, do you want to, you know, end up injured permanently? And some of those things you kind of have to play by ear and just avoid. But then there's certain things. I feel Charlottesville was a way or like a way that you could, I mean, looking back at it in hindsight, it was a gauge of what one could tolerate as far as covering an assignment, how you start to see stuff. Do you want to be there and cover this or do you want to not cover it? And uh, it's, again, purely up to the individual. And I'm not advocating anyone go out there or you know, risk, uh, risk their lives. But for me, for myself, I felt like it was important to cover it in a historical sense. Did you, did you do anything like with those photos? Like, did you send them to like the local newspaper? Or did you upload them on Skype? I called around before I, I didn't send any out. I called around and magically digital, magically. So everybody had somebody there already locally in Charlottesville. And then anybody there is going to send, those groups are going to send it out to national. So it's almost super saturated within seconds. And at that time, um, some people had cameras with the Bluetooth setup, so you could just send it to your phone and mm -hmm. send it to your photo editor. And it's, you know, I mean, by the time I get back, I didn't have Bluetooth on my camera. Uh, by the time I get back to town, it's um, the, the buddy I was with, believe this or not, he got a text message from his parents. They were in France, and they said, in the text message, because they knew they live close to Charlottesville, they said, we thought we saw the back of your head on television. We hope you're not out there today. And so it was already news in France while it was all going on. So, you know, I, I'm just sitting on those photos for historical reasons. Maybe one day I will um, submit them to some historical purposes um, the other side, I feel, because it was a tragedy, um, I, I feel like it's very a uh, very sad situation, and um, I, I think I might just sit on them, and I, I don't know if I'll ever send them anywhere or publish them or do anything. And I, I wouldn't blame you either way. I mean, it's it's like there's that emotional weight to it because you were there, you witnessed it in front of you, and like to have that such tragic event, like. You know, it's almost like, do you even want to bother with it? You know, like you said, sit on it, just kind of think about it some more. And you just, I, go ahead. I agree. I think the energy behind it, it's just, um, mm -hmm. it, it can be negative. And why, you know, I feel as photographers, it depends what kind of genre we're working in. But all three of us really love nature and wildlife. And I feel that that gives people a lot of joy, a lot of happiness, and an escape from the day-to-day not-so-great things in the world. So that's kind of where I like to skate towards is uh, producing work that makes people happy. Mm -hmm. I'd agree with that. Yeah. Do you, do you find like striking that balance has been very helpful for just your own well-being? 
and also your work? Oh, absolutely. I think that that, yeah, that, that helped. I mean, going back to the, the sales jobs, that was a, an escape from work and inadvertently, um, even then, whatever we saw in the news, it was like, you know, I'm just going to go in the woods with my camera, take photos of baby animals and sunsets and not, not, not give it any mind to the rest of the world. Probably <laughs> helps with like um, photography burnout too. That's a problem a lot of photographers struggle with. I, th I think people do. I, I've done that several times in my life, but I think it's a good thing. Like even if you play tennis your whole life, to take a break, um, do something different. I mean, if you have clients and people that, you know, you're obligated to finish an assignment with, yes, do that. But after that's over, almost mentally pack your bags, do something different, you know, play the piano, um, uh, take up a new sport potentially and, uh, a different subject, read a, a book in a subject you wouldn't read, get your mind away from photography uh, for some time. And, and if there is photography burnout and you're working in the field, leave, try to leave it in during working hours, like any business. Uh, if you, I mean, again, if you don't have clients on the weekend, you know, try to keep it during working hours. So you do spend time with friends and family and you get a break from it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really important, I think, to like recharge the batteries because I get I get real burned out easily, and it's it's nice to just kind of have other things that kind of like you said, take your mind right off of it, because um, it it's hard being an entrepreneur and like just focusing so much on building up your business. Um, so it becomes your life, and it's it, it can at least consume you whole in that regard. Absolutely, mm -hmm. it's not sustainable. <laughs> Yeah. Well, is there any other, um, I want to end on a happier note than that. Is there any like <laughs> stories in uh, photography, any like happy I endings? Would, <laughs> I would, I would say that, um, what's like I, your best, what's like your best, um, I don't know, like memory or takeaway, would you say like in photography? <laughs> I would say the moments where, whether it be a person or a family pet, I think when you produce the photos, it's it's not supposed to be a sad note, but when you produce the photos of people that were important in people's lives, um, I know I met a lady who, I had taken a photo of a German shepherd randomly at a street festival, and I had printed it out, and this lady I'd never met her till that moment, I showed her this photo of the German Shepherd, and she started crying in happy tears. She said, this reminds me of the dog I grew up with. And it would, three different mm -hmm. things, random person, random dog, random photographer. It made it a great experience for this individual. Mm -hmm. It's neat how the, uh, like the photo itself kind of brought this connection between the two of you in, in a really kind of intimate way. But you're both, you're all, both of you are strangers. That's just the neat part about yeah. it. Yeah, even the dog. You know, I didn't know the dog. Yeah, either. yeah, but it's neat how you connected through that. Yeah, and you, you yeah. really immortalized that dog too past its lifetime. Oh yeah, I, I'm pretty sure by now that dog's uh, passed on. But yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I've been that way too. With um, some people I met, met like my work and stuff in galleries and festivals, and like I remember this one lady that was just she was so enamored by this. Uh, I think it was like a shot of a cardinal. And she said, like, about how, like, I guess something about, it's kind of superstitious, but if you see a cardinal, it's kind of like tales of the afterlife. Like if someone recently passed mm. in life. Yeah, something along those lines. And she was like, it just, like, remind me of, like, she said this to me. Like, it reminded me, it reminded me of um, someone I knew recently that passed away. And just seeing that photo kind of, like, reminded me of them. I was like, wow. Yeah, it's powerful stuff. What's interesting, now, is the cardinal, the cardinal is a state bird here. But I recall seeing a bunch of cardinals in Ohio. I don't know if that's it's also the state bird. Uh -huh. That's that's what I remembered. It was something coincidental. Virginia and Ohio have the same state state bird. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, belief. There's a lot of overlap in different states too. I bet so. Oh yeah, with with the favorites and all that. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, is there anything else you'd like to add, Sarah? Uh No, no. I was wonderful, and uh, thank you for having me on. 
Cool. Yeah, it's been a great conversation. Um, we're gonna let people learn, you know, more about your work and everything. Oh, like my website? Is that what? Yeah, plug oh, plug, yeah. Any, plug anything you like. Yeah. Sure. Uh, sure. You can go to my website. It's s a r a t h n a t h a n dot com. Srathnathan dot com, and it's always evolving. And um, you could check out the different type of work I do, photography, and outside of that. And um, and you two always stay in touch, and I'll, I'm sure I'll hear from you. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on here. Yeah, Definitely. Thank on. you. Really interesting conversation. Definitely. Take care. Thank you so much for watching the Owl Outdoors Photography Podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and the video version on YouTube as well. You can subscribe down below, and we look forward to seeing you in the next one. Thank you.